You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. I've been studying the life of David, and this morning I'm talking about facing giants. Facing giants, and my message today is part one, and Adam Fidel... Um, marriage and family therapist, been part of our church for four or five years. He's going to do a part two next week, and you really do not want to miss that. That's really going to be great. Adam's got a word from the Lord, and um, in talking with him about it, I know he's supposed to do it because he's already come under spiritual attack over. <laughs> How many of you know that's what happened when you decide to preach? You go through something. Anyway, it's good to know that, but We have been studying the life of David, um, the shepherd boy, prophet, songwriter, great king of Israel, and we're covering the period of his life, the transition he made from basically full-time shepherd to warrior and part of King Saul's court. And as by way of a little background, um, I wanted to read two paragraphs that Eric B. Anderson wrote, which I thought really summed up a lot of what we're looking at. More than 3,000 years ago, an army of Israelites led by King Saul confronted a force of Philistine invaders in the valley of Elah. As the Philistines occupied a mountain on one side of the valley and the Israelites occupied another on the opposite side, an enormous champion clad from head to foot in bronze, wielding a gigantic spear, emerged from among the front ranks and addressed the Israelites. The warrior declared himself as Goliath of Gath, that's the giant, and challenged any soldier among them to face him in single combat. None of the Israelites were brave enough to fight the mighty Philistine warrior except for one. The challenger was not a soldier, but instead a young shepherd named David, armed with a simple sling as weapon. At first, King Saul refused to let the youth accept the challenge, stating that the boy was too young and inexperienced to defeat such a warrior. However, David's exceptional confidence quickly changed the king's mind. Saul, also he had no other solution, so that entered into it, I'm sure. Saul offered David his own armor to wear, Yet the shepherd respectively declined once he realized how greatly the armor hindered his movement. Instead, David approached Goliath unarmored, armed simply with his sling in hand, and five smooth stones taken from a nearby stream that he kept in a small bag. As David got closer to the Philistine, he rushed forward and loaded his sling While still running, he released the missile and struck the giant warrior directly in the forehead, killing him instantly. David, here, this is something. David then beheaded Goliath and brought his head to Jerusalem in triumph. But things were a little different back then, weren't they? But um, that is basically what we're looking at today. Now, as I've thought about giants, we're not... We're not fighting a huge 10-foot man, right? But how many of you feel like you're facing giants or you have giants to face? And spiritual giants do this. They threaten. They intimidate. 
they belittle and they lie. But if you have been a believer for a good while and really stuck with it when things get difficult and the enemy attacks, we know several other things. The enemy always overplays his hand. He always goes too far. And his arrogance always does him in. Anyway, just a little little bit of background this morning on what we're looking at, what kind of giants we're looking at. And I know next week from Adam's um, therapeutic background, he'll, he'll cover some things with some practical, um, actually some therapies that we can use that help us. How many appreciate that? It's, practical. it's called ministry, honestly. So Adam, um, Adam Fidel's a tremendous resource for our church. So facing our giants. So Israel faced enslavement by the Philistines, one of Israel's historic enemies. And it was going to be champion versus champion. Also, how many of you are familiar with Malcolm Gladwell? Well, Malcolm Gladwell has written a book about um, David and Goliath that is extraordinarily good and very, very insightful. I would recommend you getting it and reading it. It's got some great, great stuff in there. Um, but basically, the outcome of this battle between the Philistines and the Israel, Israelites would be determined by a battle between Goliath, the giant from Gath, and one of Israel's soldiers. Well, Jesse, David's father, David had seven brothers. David's father sent him to check on his three older brothers who were with Saul in the battle. And David was the youngest brother, probably still the teenager. Actually, the word youth, I've I've really studied this. David could have actually been a teenager or younger based on the language and the words, the word youth. Um, how old are you when adolescence is over? Who could give me a reasonable answer? 14, 15, I don't know, 16, 18, 18. Okay, good. He could have been 18 or younger. Um, so here's what happened when David arrives. And this is in 1 Samuel 17. And most of, if you want to turn there or look on your device, uh, 1 Samuel 17, verse 25, it says this. As David arrives... He sees what's going on. So the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who's come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel, and it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter, give him his father's house, exemption from taxes in Israel. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? Then listen to David. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in this manner, saying, So shall it be done for the man who kills him. So uh, David was looking at riches, a wife, one of the king's daughters, and being tax-exempt for his entire family. Well, at this point, David's oldest brother 
Eliab heard that David was asking these questions and he got angry. And he said to David, why did you come here? And why and with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? Then David turned from Eliab toward another and said the same thing. And these people answered him as the first ones did. So David continued to ask, why are you letting this go on? And what will happen to the person that ends it? So David was dismayed that this Philistine giant who was not in covenant with God was able to so adamantly defy Israel who is in covenant relationship with the living God. And I don't think we understand covenant as well as we should. But see, a a relationship we have with God is by covenant. And in our case, Jesus himself is that covenant. And so we have a personal relationship with God when the Philistines didn't have what you could call covenantal rights. So David was taking this um, personally. Um... So David is disrespected by his brothers once again, accused of pride. But the great thing about David was nothing would stop him. And that's one of the characteristics I think we all need to have is his perseverance. He was confident he could do something about this situation. He refused to be intimidated. Now, some can assume That kind of faith is pride, right? Somebody. Somebody, Some can assume a teenager who thinks he can do something nobody else can do isn't in faith, but they're in pride. Is that right? Well, yes. But some assume that their pride is faith. So what was David's faith built on? David's faith was built on real experience. Not someone else's. He did not just know someone who killed the lion and killed the bear. He hadn't just watched someone who had killed the lion and the bear who were after his sheep. He himself said he had grabbed the lion by the beard and killed it. Now, I would call that a basis for some real legitimate faith. How many would you out there? Of course. David had experiential faith. Um, A friend of mine uh, years ago told me um, how wonderful his relationship with the Lord was, how victorious he was. He said, Robin, but what I didn't realize is I hadn't, hadn't been tempted yet. I hadn't been tried yet. And so, so much of what we have going on in our minds about who we are and what we can do and how strong we are has to be tested and proven by actual experience. Yes, actual experience. Yeah, the kind of faith you actually have will be tested. And the Bible calls the trying of that faith is valuable. It's more precious than gold. And um, I know right now, I think everybody's faith being tried. Some people are losing their faith, quite frankly. And I feel bad about that. But, Once again, David's disrespected, but he had legitimate faith. So at this point, 
King Saul hears of David's claims and sends for him. So we find this later in chapter 17 of 1 Samuel, verse 31. Now when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, and he sent for him. Then David said to Saul, listen to David. Here's his proclamation. And we're going to realize proclamation as a believer is important, significant. Here was David's proclamation. Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine and fight with him. You're but a youth. He a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, we know what he did. I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistines. So Saul told David, go, and the Lord be with you. So David learned that overcoming small challenges prepared him for the big ones. But you've got to think, how small a challenge was it to hand fight a lion? That's pretty extreme. But that's what happens. We have to take to heart every challenge we have because it's most likely preparing us for something else coming. Now that's both encouraging and discouraging. It's discouraging in that something else may be coming. But we don't have any control over that. But it's encouraging to know the Lord gives us opportunity to develop the kind of skills we're going to need for whatever's coming down the road that he knows about that we don't know about. So David believed that the God who could deliver him from the lion and the bear would deliver him from the hand of Goliath. So Saul told David, go fight. But then Saul did something. Saul put his armor on David. He actually imposed his armor on David. And David took it off because he hadn't tested that armor. And it took a certain kind of faith and humility for David to refuse Saul's armor. And one of the keys to being successful is in knowing who you are. Not letting other people impose their assumptions or presumptions upon you. Um, not letting people make you other than who you are. And so David took what he had. David took what he tested. He took his staff. He took his sling. He took his shepherd's bag with five smooth stones from the brook. So then he faces Goliath. What does Goliath look like? How many of you know how tall Goliath was? How tall was he back there, Cecil? Ten feet tall? Good answer. One million. Yes, um, not quite, but close. He was ten feet tall. His coat of body armor weighed 125 pounds. The head of his spear weighed 25 pounds. That's who David was facing with the shepherd's staff, a sling, 
and five smooth stones from the brook. So, in reading um, Malcolm Gladwell's book, you begin to realize that David is only at a disadvantage if he fights Goliaths on Goliath's terms. He's only at a disadvantage if he fights Goliath on Goliath's terms. Now, we're only at a disadvantage if we battle spiritual battles on the basis of whoever is dictating that battle to us, and we are not using the weapons, the tools, and the methods God gives us and trains us with. How many of you listening? Yeah. We are not as smart as this invisible enemy that the Bible says rules and uh, what is prince of the power of the air. If you think you're as smart as these ancient universal enemies that we have as believers, you're going to learn that that's, you're going to learn the hard way. We're not. We don't outsmart, but we use what we know we have that God gives us. So in this case, David didn't fight Goliath on Goliath's terms. We find this in 1 Samuel 17, verse 48. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, and he slung it, and he struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank, let's say sank, sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, struck the Philistine and killed him, but there was no sword in David's hand, so David ran over the Philistine, took the Philistine's own sword, drew it out of its sheath, killed him, cut off his head. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Now, here's the thing about a sling. A sling is accurate up to 200 yards. A sling travels at the speed of 113 feet per second. How many of you watching the World Series? Nobody. I get it. Some of us. <laughs> Pitchers now throw a baseball 60 feet at 95 miles an hour. Have you ever seen how fast that thing comes? You, you have fractions of a second to determine what you're going to do. A stone thrown by David travels at more than twice the speed of a fastball in the major leagues. Actually, Gladwell says, because the stones that they found were, he named them, I can't remember the name, but there was a specific hardness. It was as though Goliath had been shot in the head with a 45-millimeter pistol. David knew his weapons. David refused to fight based on Saul's terms or based on Goliath's terms. And here's what I want to say. You guys need to learn what your weapons are. You need to understand that as believers, you can fight on different terms in life than as unbelievers.
Tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to outline five things, and then we're going to cover them more in depth. How many of you feel like you've gotten a message so far? Everybody all right? Well, let me tell you these five things, and then we'll invite Andy to come do the communion. What are principles of victory? A, you cannot live to man. You can't let the opinions of others keep you back. Jesus actually said, how can you believe who pursue honor from men and not from God? When you don't pursue the honor of God and you pursue men's respect, men's honor, it will shrink your faith up to nothing. Now, there's a lot more to say. Number two, which is B, or Roman numeral eight. You need to face your fears. I think Adam might talk about some of that more next week. Do you know when a ship's in a storm, it turns into the storm? David ran toward Goliath, not from him. More to say. C, you need to be aggressive in your faith. We need to play to win. Have you ever seen teams that uh, get a lead and then quit playing to win? They play to stay ahead, and almost without exception, they lose their momentum. No, you need to keep advancing your faith. You need to keep pressing into what God wants to do in your life. You also need to understand the covenant that we have with the Lord. We could say it in this way. All that I have is his. Say that with me. All that I have is his. All that he has is mine. All that he has is mine. But often to prove that, he'll ask us for something to see if we believe both sides of that. To make that really strong. Okay, the importance of proclamation. As you read through that story, you will see over and over and over, David was proclaiming his faith. And we find this in Romans 10. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. The word is near you, in your mouth. Where is it? In your mouth and in your heart. That's the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And so there you see the two vital aspects. And Andy and I were talking about this the other day and he mentioned it's interesting In the order here, it's in your mouth before heart. I would think, well, it needs to be in your heart from your mouth. Well, maybe Paul knew something we didn't know. Maybe we need to hear ourselves say the truth so it will reinforce what we believe and should believe. Um, And then David's five faith proclamations represented by the five smooth stones. And so we're going to look at the rest of these here in a couple of weeks. Um, But what I want to do now, I want Andy to come, and we're going to receive this morning's uh, communion. So, Father, thank you. Thank you for the great story of David and Goliath and all it means to us. Challenge us, Lord, 
and increase our faith. Amen. Amen. Everybody have a communion cup. I can't wait till we get back to the day we can actually break bread again. Jesus had a fairly successful ministry up until a point. He had he had large crowds and he uh, he had large crowds following him. He had a very successful healing ministry going on. And then and then everything came to a complete halt at one point. And uh, all of the people that were following him, they they dissipated. They went away. And there were just a, a few of his inner circle disciples that hung on with him. And, and, you know, you might think to yourself, well, what happened? Why did Jesus have this great successful ministry while he's walking on planet Earth? And then all of a sudden that thing stops and everything changes. He did a very interesting thing. It was, it was actually radical. It was, it was offensive because Jesus turns to the crowd that he's speaking to and he says, I am the bread of life. He says, I am the bread of life. And this had, this happened on the heels of him performing one of his greatest miracles of feeding of the 5,000. And uh, it, it's really interesting to me of all of the icons or all of the symbols that God could have picked in order to describe himself to the world. He chose bread. It's very interesting. He could have chosen a sword. A sword is strong. It's powerful. He could have chosen a shield or a helmet or, I mean, he could have picked anything for people to associate him with. But the God of the universe incarnate in the man Christ Jesus chose bread to describe himself. Now, what's so interesting about that is, you know, after the church age and then the next well, we're in the church age, but from the time that Jesus ascended into heaven again and up until about the year 1500, hardly anybody could read. So you couldn't find out about God by going to your local Christian bookstore and buying a Bible and reading the gospel to find out things about God. There was a symbol available to you. It was the only thing that the average person could find out about God, and it was the symbol of bread. People were walking around the the world um, contemplating who God was. And Jesus gave them this, this, this loaf of bread, this wafer. And we know this because in Matthew 26, Jesus institutes one rite, one rite, R-I-T-E. He institutes one ceremony to be done to the time of his return. He's telling his disciples, if you forget what I'm like, do this in remembrance of me. If you want to know what I'm like, get a loaf of bread, hold it up in front of your friends and family and remember me. If you want to know what I'm like, I'm like bread. I feed people when I'm broken and I'm dispersed. What Jesus was then, he still is today. And so we gather around. It's it's kind of absurd. We have these plastic cups and kind of a plastic wafer. And I was thinking about it over here. I was thinking, Lord, it's so strange. It's so absurd. It feels so kind of plasticky that we're doing it this way. And, you know, 
I didn't get much response from him, but I just kind of felt like, you know, it's okay. It's all right that we have to do a little bit of guerrilla warfare with this plastic wafer, you know, but I, this is, this is what I know. Jesus is among us right now as we remember him together. And the power of this strange little simple absurd wafer as we break it together and receive the body of the Lord into our collective body, powerful things happen. We stay the course with our following the Lord. We continually submit ourselves under his lordship, under his authority. Amen. So let's do this. Grab your little wafer. Let's, let's, before we stick it in our mouths, let's break it in half. Let's just do this. Snap it. Yeah, kind of a weak little snap. Heavenly Father, just like Jesus and his disciples around that, that supper, that final supper, we're, we're connecting ourselves from, to the legacy of faith that started all those years ago. We're doing the same thing as your first disciples, Lord. We're doing this in remembrance of you. We can't see you with our eyes. But thank you, Lord, that Christians are people who are not living under the tyranny of their eyes only. Christians are not people who are living under only what they can see. We're a people who see into the spirit and we see you here now and we take this body in remembrance of you. Let's go ahead and partake. This, this is the cup of salvation, this plastic cup with foil on the top. Believe it or not, this is the cup of thanksgiving and the salvation. And Lord, there is a, this is a powerful symbol. This weak little cup is a powerful symbol of what you're like and what you've done for us. You shed your blood for the salvation of the world. And in hopeful expectation and anticipation of your salvation, we take this cup together. Amen. Praise the Lord. All right, everybody. Well, um, I, I know it's raining, but are we still, are we still heading out this door today? Or are we, anybody know? Okay, let's go that way since it's, yeah. Um, you're dismissed. Have a great week. Don't be strangers to each other. You know, be friendly. You know, fist bump, side hugs. Just make sure you're wearing a mask and, you know, go out to lunch with somebody or something. Have a great week. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. 